Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And uh, due to a little bit of technical difficulties, Chuck may sound a little funky this week. It's not his usual quadraphonic, stereophonic sound. Uh, no, I sound like I'm in a fucking fish tank. <laughs> Your computer decided to start updating right when we started to do the podcast. So Yeah, currently at 22%. Yeah, so super awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. But uh, that's not why we're here. We're here with another episode. Last week, we are sorry for missing. We try not to miss Monday's episodes, but those of you that have listened to Locker Room know um, our scheduling has been a little crazy. But uh, we're back this week with another great guest. Chuck, tell us who you got for us. So who we have is uh, Blunk, Jay Blunk. And he was active duty from 95 to 2007, MCRD, San Diego, He's in the Marine Corps. He went to MCRD San Diego, India Company 35, School of Infantry as an instructor on the East Coast, 1st Light Armored Reconnaissance, LAR, School of Infantry on the West Coast, 2nd LAR, Battalion, which he deployed from in OIF-1 in the invasion. He was also tasked as a security uh, for an embedded CBS crew that filmed the frontline footage being reported, including ah. John Roberts, currently a CNN anchor. Oh. Huh. All right. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to tie into some of the uh, recent guests that one of our recent guests who had a documentary crew following uh, him and his unit. And you actually were doing the opposite. Yeah. You were following the camera crew. Is that is that about right? You were providing them security? Uh, yeah, sort of. Um, when I when I got to LAR, um, the unit was all out training and I happened to get locked into a SACO position, substance abuse control officer. Oh jeez! Well, to, to my dismay, and this test. Fortunately for me, um, while everyone was depl- was out training, um, they needed a name right away for LAV leaders course, and Bam. I was the only one there, so I got to go. And it's a it's in the community, it's kind of a coveted school. You know, as a platoon sergeant, you want to go to that course. It tests every inch of that vehicle. Um, but anyway, ended up going to the school. Um, but didn't, wasn't able to get slotted into as a platoon sergeant. So right before the deployment, I got together a big fun box, sports equipment and stuff like that. Cause I'm part of H and S company and <laughs> well, put together the fun box to take on deployment. And we deploy, we, we fly out to Kuwait. Um, kind of crazy as we come off on the tarmac, everyone's grabbing magazines out of a big crate. You know, going to condition three, getting on these buses, little VW van bus looking things and close the curtains, drove to the LSA in the, in the night and took a tent. We'll figure it out in the morning. So <laughs> fat, fat, fast forward, we um, we're, we're in our LSA. We got all of our vehicles. Everything's off the ship now. And we get told that there's going to be a CBS crew embedded with us. And I didn't think much of it. No one else did. It was kind of cool. They had a civilian Humvee painted tan, big satellites on top of it and GPS, cool. all sorts of stuff. It was decked out engineers. Um, the cameraman, his name was uh, Kirk Spitzer. Uh, he was out of New York, I think at the time. Is his um, brother John Spitzer? I, I can't confirm or deny that. I, I couldn't tell you. Uh-huh. Um, and, and John Roberts. So they were there. And then one day I get I get called to come see uh, the battalion commander, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Eddie Ray, and I'm told that I'm going to be tasked with security for that CBS news crew. And my vehicle at the time, they gave me a hardback Humvee with a 50 cal on the top. Um, we did a little bit of it was me driver. I had a gunner, um, and a, and a, I guess an a driver or a gunner in the back. Right. Um, so we were going to provide security for him. We did some maneuver movements with the LAVs and um, how to break contact, uh, things like that. Got to know them a little bit. Um, and then finally, we actually, I took the, I took the CBS News guys over to a meeting. Um, uh, one of the generals given a speech, kind of a brief to the, the press from the surrounding area. And um, whether scripted or not, someone had walked up to the general, handed them a little yellow sticky, and he looked at it, and he's like, we're going to war, gentlemen. 
and just walked away. And whether <laughs> whether it was like I said, whether it was scripted or not, it 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 had it was a cool effect. moment. It was. Yeah. Um. So we uh we headed back and we we took off shortly after. Um. We ended up sitting on the line of departure, listening as just kind of a big line of LAVs um, facing Iraq, uh, listening to George Bush give that 72-hour speech to Saddam Hussein. Hmm. Um, and pretty sure we left before that 72-hour window was up. <laughs> we, we, we were already en route. How, so, how big was the pucker factor? It You know, uh, I... I, I won't even try to ruin the quote, but the the hobbit on the on the wall, you know, waiting, sitting on the edge of a battle that, that you can't avoid, you know, it was it was interesting, you know. Yeah. It was kind of sucked. The uh the CBS guys had some Cuban cigars they gave us. So we sat there kind of smoking our Cuban cigars and my driver never smoked a day in his life and he started turning green. He's like, you may have to drive, like you may have to suck it up. (laughs) (laughs) Funny Uh, thing you say that is that my senior drill instructor when I was going through boot camp in 2007, he talked about the invasion and how he was up for God knows how long drinking rippets and just smoking, chain smoking cigarettes because he's like, well, I might fucking die. I don't know. And he was like. Him and his whole crew, guys who'd never even smoked before, were all chain smoking like cools and shit, running down the road, um, on their way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was it was it was very different then. I think than everything else after that that initial push. But when we when we finally did leave, uh, we left at night, and it was just that that moon dust you hear about. And the only thing you can see are just the fireflies on the top of the vehicle flashing in the in the dust. You can't you can't right. see the vehicle in front of you. You know he's ten feet. You can every once in a while you'll see his taillights and then it goes <laughs> out of view. And you don't know where you're at. You're just following the lights. And so while we're driving, um, John Roberts comes over the radio a couple of times, and we've been driving for quite a while. Hey, are we in Iraq? I'm like, I don't know. And then a little while, hey, are, are we in Iraq? Like, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not looking. I got a. I got a. You know, GPS. I got a plugger. I got my map. But when you're navigate, when you're navigating that quickly, you can go across a couple of map sheets and not know. Right. You know right. I mean? So we were just follow the vehicle in front of you. My, that's that's what's important right now. So finally, he's like, "Hey, could we be in Iraq?" Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes John. We could be in Iraq. Um, and that was it. We, we stopped and circled up for the night and I got out and got my map board out, started checking my, my coordinates. Where am I at? No, we're, we're, we're a handful of clicks away from Iraq. And I kind of plot my point. This is where we're at. And it was going to show him where we were. Cause he was very concerned about our location, you know, 20 <laughs> minutes ago. Sure. And he comes up and he's like, uh, we have a problem. I said, oh, yeah, what's what's the problem? We're not in Iraq. I said, no, we're right here. He goes, well, I just reported live with Dan Rather to the world that we were crossing the southern border of Iraq with the 1st Marine Division. Oh, <laughs> sounds like you Thanks. have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that ultimately almost got all the uh, all the correspondents kicked out of Iraq. Almost. But what's that's a big operational security issue. You think? <laughs> I mean, you broadcast and, live television. Hey, we're right here, and, and we like... we weren't we weren't even there yet. And what was funny is I had told my mom knew what I was doing, so she was recording all of the CBS news that was coming on. So I got to see all this when I got back, and I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, this guy. So it was accidental disinformation because. Yeah. He said that you had crossed the border when, in fact, you hadn't. And so who knows? Maybe it worked out to your advantage. Maybe. Uh, but I mean, even if we were and it was factual, I'd, I don't believe that he was authorized to report that. Yeah, I would all. be willing to bet no. So, uh, I, and, you know, it's a pretty easy bet to place. Um, but yeah, so that was like strike number one. Um, we keep pushing. And uh, 
um, before a shot's even fired, the the vehicle, their their multi-million dollar, not million dollar, but this the billion couple hundred dollar, grand. Yes, absolutely breaks down. So we kind of circle back around and we're we're at it, and uh, one of the chief of maintenance says he's on the phone with Arnold Schwarzenegger's Humvee mechanic trying <laughs> to get this thing fixed. And I'm like, yeah, you do what you got to do, man. Um, so they're trying to work this out. And in the meantime, the cameraman comes to me, Kirk, and he's like, Hey, uh, what if I get in your vehicle? What's the difference? I'm like, all right, let's do it. So he goes and he, um, he talks to Colonel Eddie Ray, pause the story in desert storm. Uh, Eddie Ray, Lieutenant Colonel Eddie Ray at the time was, I think, Lieutenant Ray he was a company commander. Uh, and he earned a Navy cross for de defending uh, division headquarters from an Iraqi tank regiment. And Kurt wow. Spitzer, the cameraman, was there with him and reported that story. Um, so they had some history. They they had some some more history. Um, he was ultimately awarded a Navy cross for that for his actions that day. Um, and he shouldn't have been there. They just they he was too aggressive, and they had to reel his his company back in and kind of slow him down and it was a good thing they did that night like Patton's third army racing sure. to berlin they his his lav actually sits in front of second lar with really the swamp, swamp thing across the side of it very very large man and yeah his vehicle's decommissioned out there in front of second lar i think i've seen it that's that was him um great great man to serve under um so he goes and talks to the colonel and they, yeah, you know what, let's, let's do that. So I didn't think much of it. He, he got in my vehicle and I didn't realize how much that was going to change the face of the war for me um, or, or, or my Marines that, that were with us. Um, once we, once we stepped off, we, we ended up, we hit Nazaria. That was the first big, big thing that we did. We hit Nazaria. Um, I was able to see it later. That was when, Jessica Lynch was getting taken hostage. We were getting our noses. We didn't think Nazaria was going to be that big of a fight. Right. Right. Um, so ultimately, um, LAR, Light Armored Reconnaissance Battalion, their their logo is always the tip of a spear because they are the forward element of any main fighting force. They're up there gaining reconnaissance, fighting behind, behind the, or in front of the division, really. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, We hit Nazaria, and they came out and they they pretty much said, "LAR, we need you to punch a hole through. We're punch a hole through Nazaria." So we mounted up, and we did just that. We we drilled a hole right through the center of Nazaria, and kept going. And everyone else just kind of flooded in behind us and did what they did. Um, we pushed up. I don't remember if it was maybe 15, 20 miles. Um, and we stopped and we got into a, a coil uh, that's basically just a, a 360 with the vehicles with mm. the road running right down the center of us. Um, and we, we kind of tucked in for the night. I was the battalion commander parked his vehicle right in the back and got in it and laid down and tried to take the nap. And I pulled up right next to him. And what's crazy is he, Oh, I'll get to that. But he, once the night came, um, troops from the north started started heading south to support Nazaria. Um, as the bus got closer and closer, the commander said, "Let him come in and let him come on in." And um, the first round that went off, it was a tow rocket. Okay. Okay. It went off. Um, it went through the front window of the van of the bus and went out the back. <laughs> and now, toes, if I'm not mistaken, um, are those the? Is that the? That's not the. Uh, no, that's the. That's not the shoulder fire one. That's the one shot from the Humvee with the guided uh, wire on it, right? It's, it's this is shot from um, from an LAV platform. Oh, so you have them mounted on the LAVs? Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, that's fucking badass. Tubular launched optically optically guided wire missile system. Yeah, I've seen them. They're they're sick. And it yeah, it went right through it. 
and went out the back and you heard the, the radio kind of keyed up. He's like, my bad. And then <laughs> <laughs> you heard the gyro spin up on it and it kind of traversed down a little bit. And the next one hit the, hit the engine block. Um, as the, the Iraqi started coming out of this, the sides of the buses, you know, some of them are on fire, some aren't, but <laughs> we also had an LAVAD. Um, that's the air defense oh. variant. I don't, I don't, we didn't have any um, surface to air missiles or rockets, whatever goes into it for that, but they had the 30 millimeter Gatlin gun. And oh, you know. As they're that's, coming that's out of the bus cool. and that's they're running, bad. he's just zipping them, up, zipping them in half like, like a chainsaw. Just And that's on and top of the pig. That's on top of the pig. Yes, sir. That's on yes. top of the LAVAD. Oh, dude. Jack's got um, screwed. So it, uh, he, yeah. So after that first one and that, that bus was on, or that, that bus was on fire for quite a while and it, it kind of washed out a lot of our night vision, but eventually it started to die down. And then that's when our evening got started because in that point, <laughs> what had happened was <laughs> exactly. We, we ultimately ended up surrounded, um, by the Iraqis. Um, we had a, an, I don't know, an armory or something to our five o'clock and they started launching mortars at us. So we actually Holy had, a, an LAV mortar variant. Um, so they immediately started counter battery. Um, and as they're coming at us, the, the 25 started lighting them up, but the Colonel said, bring them in, bring them in, let them walk them in. So we could get as many up as we could, but it was very hilly and traversy. You couldn't really. They're coming from the field, you know, I'm up, you see me, I'm down kind of thing. Sure. Um, but they'd pop a flare at two o'clock and they would attack us at seven o'clock. Then they popped a flare at 11 o'clock and attack us from behind us. And we're like, okay, fuckers. <laughs> so, so they ended I up calling you. in, the XO ended up calling in some, uh, some BPICM, some dual purpose improved munitions. Um, I don't remember if we had how many guns we had on the line whether it was five or six, but when they tell you, you get one shot, that means you get one shot from each gun. Um, so I think we ended up with two shots. So if we had six guns, we might've had 12 shots of it. But what it does is it comes out and about a hundred meters above the deck, it explodes and 88 fragmentation grenades hit the ground. Oh, per and shot. Per shot. Yes, sir. So, they're already firing. We're already danger close with all of our, with all of our shots. Um, it, it's all they can do to get past us. Um, and that XO, he was pinpointing them all around us and just taking out all these troops that were surrounding us. Um, it was, it was, it was beautiful. And the, the battalion commander was laying in the back of his Humvee with his eyes closed, just listening to it and orchestrating this entire thing. It was, it was it was beautiful to watch. It was just to see what we could do on that scale. Like, right. well, wow. we, you've kind of talked about the combined armed exercise, the the CACs they used to have at twenty nine sure. palms, mm -hmm. and, cool. and that aspect of combined arms that that the Marine yeah. Corps brings to the table, and you see what that can do and what that means. And for me, that was the first time I had seen that. Um, yeah, going. Well, it's this, it's this coordinated, like it's almost choreography. It's this coordinated. This happens, which triggers this, which means this, which it's it's this ballet of death, you know, that it is is, is in, and when you say orchestrated and conducted it, I can just imagine, you know, the 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 idea of of having this symphony of destruction to quote Megadeth, you know, playing out in your mind and then going, okay, hold on, now it's time for this, now it's okay, now now deploy this, and you just know, yeah, yeah. So Chuck, did your audio get better? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, I think it's I think it's better right. now. Yeah. Well, well. So we were go ahead. We were talking about the symphony of destruction, but I know Chuck, you had something to chime in on with that. Yeah, I mean, it, seeing it on a large scale like that, because um, I, I was I was involved in CACs for about six months, and I got to see it on a large scale. And um, unfortunately, it's the only place I got to see it. Yay! Thanks, Obama. <laughs> but um, seeing that shit on a large scale, where you have artillery you have infantry you have you know 
us and tracks and everyone's coordinated and it's all, you know, you're out there for a few days and just doing all this shit and, and completing all of your objectives and seeing everything live fire. And it is fucking wild. And it's so cool. And to be able to, to witness that on a, on an actual, like live action, like this is for real, like, this is what we get paid for. This is what we've been training for. And just to see it unfold in front of you, like a fucking maestro, you know, yeah, controlling his symphony for his, yeah. like, just this is what he gets paid to do, and he's just controlling yeah. it. And it's, that's amazing. So I want to back you up a little bit because <laughs> we we jumped right into it, and I love it. But uh, I wanted to get a little bit of background on how you ended up in the core in the first place because we we like to, oh, yeah, to kind yeah, of find yeah. out. Um, I I think it was something I I always knew I was going to do. Um, I, I think even my high school guidance counselor said, "What are you going to do?" I said, "I'm going to be a marine." And she's like, yeah. okay, there, there's the door. Um, there's I, I the remember door. I had. <laughs> Get out. I had. Uh, she I has had, nothing to uh, offer you at that point. No. Um, I, I didn't have a very good GPA. I had to make sure I finished my last classes with a passing grade just to graduate. And two weeks later, I was, I was in the Marine Corps. Um, and yeah, at the time, I, my girlfriend at the time wrote me a letter, said I'm pregnant. I wrote her back, said, will you marry me? And we subsequently had four daughters, and I served my military time. But it, I wasn't around a whole lot, you know, when the kids were little. Sure. So sure. Um, now, fast forward, I am remarried, and I just had a baby three months ago. My other four Congrats. daughters are in their 20s now. Wow. So, so I, I started over. Um, but yeah, that was. That was it. I, I always knew I was going to be, I was going to join the military and I knew I was going to be a Marine from a, from a pretty young age. How long um, did you serve in the Marines? 12 Actively. Years, 12 years. 12 years okay. And then, yeah. And after that, it was kind of a young man's game after that. Yeah. Um, it's, but now that I'm here on, on this side, you know, looking back, um, it's, I'm happy that we have the benefits that we have. Right. I think I, I'm not sure if we're the only country that has a VA or veterans benefits, you know, side of that, or if Canadian veterans have somewhere they can go for their medical care. But I believe there are other countries that do have veterans benefits programs and whatnot. But I, and this is why I always tell people when it comes to whether it's politics, whether it's the constitution, where, you know, our system may be messed up, but it's still one of the best ones out there, which is, you know, Right. It yeah. may, it's sad and humbling at the same time. Like at least we've got what we've got because there are a lot of people out there that have it a lot worse. I know that yeah, there 100%. are veterans because I talked to uh, uh, an Australian bloke um, down there that uh, we're close with and he got neck surgery through his uh, military uh, right. stuff through the VA and he's been out. Uh, I know Canadians, they, they have it as well. I don't think it's on the scale that, that ours is on. Um, especially with like lifetime benefits or pay or, or, uh, college tuition or, you know, yeah. things like that, like all the, the little cool, uh, quirks of RVA, but I definitely know they do have it. Um, as far as like other places like the UK and all that, I don't know if I have an idea, but I definitely know those two have it. So now it sounds like we're getting into the spicy part of the story. So your, your commanding officer is laying down i and i love this image okay, too, of him laying, laying down in the back <laughs> just listening it's to amazing. it and playing it out in his head because he's probably in this moment of focus where he can't let anything distract him and he just needs to think about what he needs to think about absolutely i yeah and fortunately but i mean even if he what else is he gonna do i mean if he if he stood up in his turret he, he can is he gonna stand there and just turn his head all night long to see what's going on he can he can hear it he can right he's got he's got three company commanders out there, you know, commanding their companies right. in that circle right. too. So he's, he's, he's commanding that entire unit as if it was one person. Right. So leadership, was, it, it absolutely was. I, I was able to talk to him about it later on um, that the cameraman came back into town and invited myself and the Colonel out to dinner. Uh, so we went to the officer's club and at the time I was a Sergeant. I was, I thought I was a, you know, I get the hobnob with the colonel, <laughs> but I was, I was a guest of, of Kirk's and he was a guest of the colonels because they had history. And I asked him about that and, you know, he's like, what, what else was I going to do? You know? Yeah. I mean, you, you can't very, 
it would be a disservice to all of his training and leadership abilities to pick up a rifle and go charge the front lines. You can't like God bless, you know, some of those military leaders, they have to supplant their normal warrior instincts and hold back, you know, he, he was, he was awesome, but I can, to, to go back to why I joined, I was going to throw something in there, uh, sure. but um, you ever, I don't know if you've ever heard it. I actually stopped into the Navy first and asked them how much, you know, how much they paid. And they said $50 a month. And I was like, well, shit. So I went to the, the army. I'm like, how much do you pay? And they said $50 a month. I'm like, well, shit, Air Force, same thing. And I went over to the Marine Corps. I'm like, hey, how much do you pay? He said, Semper Fi. I thought he said 75. So I signed up. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's about right huh but um but yeah it so the next day um once the sun came up after all that was all that symphony of destruction it have you ever seen generation kill yes my yeah. buddy is the uh my buddy is actually the um fucking uh lieutenant on there the bald-headed lieutenant who's a fucking doofus yeah who plays a doofus there was a part in there where I don't remember the names. The sergeant was talking to someone else and they were like, man, what happened here last night? And they said, well, they bunch of Iraqis came from the North and they ran into LAR last night. Oh, it's you. He's like, man, you got to love those LAVs. Mm. And when he said that, that was referring back to that night, um, which now they call the battle of the coil. Um, as I understand it, and I, I have no substantiation, but I understand it was like 3000 to 3,500 bodies. Um, wow. There might have been about two dozen that survived the night and it got cold. It, it probably dropped down into the 30s and they were out there in their man dresses. Most of them wounded. Um, I, you know, sounds like it was pretty miserable for them. Mm -hmm. But I mean, so here's the thing. War is hell. It's not yeah, fun for anybody. Yeah, and no. I think that I think the Hobbit, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, the Tolkien quote you were looking for was, I don't want to be in a battle, but waiting on the edge of when I can't escape is even worse. Thank you. That and I think that like that speaks to that is it sucks to suck. It sucks to be in the suck. It's, you know, there's nothing when you get in there, there there's nothing to do but to do it. And they they decided to take up their cause and take up their sword and fight for their, you know, cause. And we fought for ours. And unfortunately someone's got to lose in every battle. And there isn't a single warrior out there that goes into a battle with the intention of tying. No. And I got to say the Marines, they, they definitely embrace the suck. I mean, it's painted on most of every single, well, it was painted on our barracks and, um, and every Marine I've ever met, uh is down for the cause and has a little is a little bit unstable and that makes for a 100 percent battle-driven warrior who's just a got a little bit off upstairs so when you when you watch braveheart right you guys remember that movie mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. you remember the irish guy that thing is like oh, been you know this is my island right he was a little bit goofy, a little bit daffy, but he was always down for the fight and could kill anybody that came across him. That's those are the Marines, right? The, those that's that Irish guy in Braveheart is is when you think of like you know military people that that's the Marines. They're a little bit a little bit crazy and and a little bit down for anything, and that's what you want in your Marine. It's like corps. a crazy you frat don't want... group who's been trained with weapons and understands how to shoot, move, and communicate, and they're very deadly and drunk most of the time. I, yeah, I I heard over the radio at one point during the invasion. They said this place was clear. Get the Marines back in here, and they pulled the army out and let us go back in and clear it for them. And it was yeah, like that that was cute. <laughs> it's it's but, <laughs> it's funny know, how that at, at the time. Sometimes. At the time, though, the, you know, it was oh three. We were still, it was still romantic. We still mm -hmm. had, you know, it was still the day after nine eleven. Right, right. It, it, it was still that, and you know, you still had all, a cause. Yes, and l unleashing us, you know, I felt like I had up to that point, what five, six, eight years in an apprenticeship, to finally go to work as a journeyman. Right. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It all that training, but the training, 
in the nineties was very, very different than it is now. I mean, in a, in a standard line battalion, you've got boats, helos and traps. And that was the three ways you're going. I was in a boat company and we were, I was always in the water. We were always doing ship to shore and, you know, then overnight we're in the desert. Yeah. And our boats are gone. And <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the whole boat if, thing. Yeah. You can forget about that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if, if dark horse, cause now India three, five is now dark horse. I believe um, it was consummate professionals at the time. I, we weren't eating crayons just yet. Um, so yeah, it was, the training was very different and it was, we were, we were ready. I, I think they were kind of unleashing the dogs of, the dogs of the devil dogs, you know? Yeah. Unleash the dogs of war. Um, so anyway, the, the next morning we, we fueled up, everyone caught up to us. Kirk went and got some new batteries and some more tapes and we left. We, we headed North. And so he's got a lot of footage of all this. I think his internet is Yeah, we, we lost you for a minute. So your camera guy got a bunch of tapes and he's got he's got footage of all this then. At some point somewhere, he was getting he, yeah, what, he, 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 Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say, regardless of what CNN or CBS at the time actually aired and what was made available to the public, he was there during the Battle of the Coil, capturing everything, being, you know, the war war correspondent photographer videographer cameraman absolutely and And, uh, uh, i mean god bless him i mean he he's he made a career out of being a war correspondent and going into battle without a without a weapon it's wild and yeah yeah fuck that um but as as the next few weeks progressed like i said we would fight through a handful of towns and stop fight through a handful of towns and stop every day for about three weeks um the only drawback to that was we'd go through these four or five towns and we'd stop and Kirk would come to me and say, we got to take these tapes and batteries back. And the first time I said, okay. And I went and talked to the Colonel. Hey, sir, we got to take these tapes and batteries back to the rear. Uh, can I get support wingman? No. <laughs> Good luck. Yes, sir. Jeez. I didn't realize that the trains were, you know, 15, 20 miles behind us. And so every night when we'd stop, every town we would go through, I knew that at the end of the night, I was going to have to go back through those towns again with just my vehicle. Fuck. Um, mm. So me, my driver, my gunner, and the cameraman would drive back through that hornet's nest alone um, and, and get back to the trains, do what we had to do, Turn around, um, and do and it my all biggest over again. Fear was uh, while we were gone, which they did uh, maybe twice, three times. What was your biggest fear? Um, I, I, I may have covered you. That the uh, that the battalion would would be gone. Oh, got it. When, when we would leave the we'd leave to go back and find them. Sure. And and it's not that that you know they would be gone, but I would go to go to that grid coordinate and. Now I got to go to a different grid coordinate, right? Plain catch up or get to a retrans site and hook my vehicle up to it. Like a, an antenna in the middle of nowhere, Mm -hmm. um, hook up into it and broadcast further so I could find them, um, and get their grid. But that was, that was, um, that was a little disheartening. I mean, he, he, we probably got shot at a lot more because of CBS than, than, than the average Marine at the time. But, so the, the Hodges knew that you guys had a camera crew with you and you think that drew them more to wanting to fire at you or do you think it was just shit luck? I no, I I don't think that anyone knew that we had a camera crew with that vehicle. No, okay. they they saw a battalion where the LAVs go through during the you know during the day and then mm-hmm. at night one little lone Humvee came flying. Got through. it. So it was just shit luck that you had to go back by yourself. And it was shit luck that I had to go back every night. How fast are you guys driving? <laughs> I, oh I, I told him, do not, do not let your foot off the gas. Just keep going. Don't stop. And right. that was when that's probably when the pucker factor was, was probably the highest. Cause we'd be going through there at zero dark 30 
Um, and, you know, some, it wasn't always just a straight shot through it. There was times that the LABs were, you know, weaving through the town to get through it and fighting our way through. So it wasn't mm -hmm. always just a straight shot. There was lefts and rights that had to be taken. And, you know, there was Oof. one evening we, the road started getting a little tighter and tighter for a Humvee. And I'm like, God, we didn't go this way. Right. But, um, yeah, we did that for about three or four weeks. Wow. Um, Almost a month. Yeah. Yeah. The, there was the whole, yeah. And you, the they talk about how you can only advance as fast as your support, right? Though so logistics and supply chains and all that stuff, you can, you can, you can't over advance that. But in your case, they were like, you can advance as far as you want, but your boy needs to come back and get his shit every night. And so well, sucks it, to it, suck. <laughs> it wasn't even, yeah. I mean, that was the fact that he had to go get more tapes and batteries. That was not even a blip on anyone's radar. Hmm. You know, that was, it, it just became my problem. Right. Oof. Um, so I did what I had to do. He's your cameraman. This is what he needs. Make it happen. Yeah. Um, but he was, he, he did a, if I said, let's go, he, he, he went, you know, anything I said, he would do it if it was security wise. And, but yeah, he would film it all and take notes during the day. Um, the only time I ever had a problem with it um, was we probably had come across our maybe, I don't know, third or fourth child um, on the road. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he was obviously, you know, bothered by it. And he started, he started scribbling in his notebook. I seen him get his satellite phone out and, and he was right. The story needed to be told. Sure. 100%. The story needed to be told. Um, however, I told him, if you, if you report a story about dead babies from my vehicle, I'm, you're going to walk. You will mm -hmm. not report that story until you have a conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Eddie Ray. Right. And it's not my, it's, I'm, it's nothing personal, but it is not my place to give you permission or allow that to occur. And therefore I will not. And he, he was, he was pretty upset about it, but when we got back, he stormed off. He went and talked to the Colonel and the Colonel called me and I told him what happened. He said, good, let me know if it happens again. Right. You know, I mean, friends are one thing, but I, I just, that didn't sit right with me. I'm, I, I right. get it. Tell your story, but not right here, not right now. Um, right. There can be, there's a time and a place for everything, right? Stories need to be told, but there there's, it's one thing to jeopardize, like, like initially the operational security, right? Like that. Hey, I get it. You got a story to tell, but you're not going to make it harder on my men by telling your story and morale, public perception, those kinds of issues that also makes it harder on a fighting force. And, Yes. Do we need to talk about it? Sure. Do we need to talk about it right now? Probably not. You know, it's like that comment you make to your wife. You're like, maybe I should have waited. <laughs> right. Well, was he trying to like okay. come off and say like, oh, the Marines are killing women and children type no, of thing? No, no. It was more of a. Um, like the horrors no, of war. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't. He was. Kirk wasn't that kind of reporter. Good. He would have talked about the horrors of war and what was going on. But. Again, um, I would rather him have a, an educated explanation, take some time, process it, digest what you're going to say and, and do it. But he was, he was pretty upset when he started writing. So it just wasn't going to happen. Um, those are, those are also, you know, moments like that. People don't think that's an uncomfortable conversation to have with another person, but it, it is what it is, right? I mean, not, not many people get to have that conversation, sure. guess, but, but, you know, I, I think in the, in the course of a, of a military career, you have a lot of hard conversations, mm -hmm. um, especially in, in contexts like that. Um, but we, we kept pushing. Um, I, I do know that the, the Iraqi army, I do know that they knew we had news with us. I had heard that they would put things in front of us. Um, knowing that as we came up, it would be recorded. Mm, right. Um, it makes sense. Whether things were staged or whatever. Um, but one afternoon we were, we were kind of, we were sitting on the side of the road and 
um, a van had pulled up to our lines and said he wanted he wanted help to find his family that he he knows that they were in this area he's just looking for them if he could get through he would really appreciate it um there's an iraqi gentleman two two iraqi gentlemen two women uh and a, maybe a teenage boy and so someone calls me up and they asked me and my vehicle to escort them through friendly lines and help them find their family I said roger that so we we took off pulled them through maybe two or three different checkpoints of americans um, and got out of that and drove for i don't know maybe a half hour and we we found their family's vehicle um and it was it was riddled with bullets it had burned through the night and their five family members were kind of spread out around it except for two of them two of them were melted together in the back seat mm -hmm. um and I only had so many body bags. Uh, a vehicle had pulled up next to me and said, hey, what do you need? And I said, I need some more body bags. Fuck. He brought me some more body bags. And my Marines and I, we started to, to gather the bodies and place them in the body bags. And rigor had already set in. So we were we had to kind of break bones. And, yeah, and reposition it. And mm -hmm. to get them in the bags and stack the bodies up on our Humvee. And we followed the van over to a mosque. Um, my driver and I and my my gunner, we we dug the graves for them. And once we dug the graves, we we walked away. We they, we let them put their their family to rest and cover them with rocks. And the shitty thing was, he I had a translator, and he had told the translator that he knew Americans killed his family. Um, but he understood. And that's a hard conversation to have. Oh yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. And these, the women, while, while we were doing this, they were, they were screaming these prayers and the translator said it was like some old, old Testament stuff that they were chanting and taking the ashes from the bodies and spreading them all over their face and chest and, yeah, that, that whole scene, I, I kind of, I listened to a lot of the firefighter stories on here and, and it, a lot of that, it takes, a lot of that takes me back to that day. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we had to, once you see your first melted body, you, you, you don't ever cross see one. Yeah. Yeah. You've crossed the threshold. Yeah. yeah. And we had, we had to separate the two to, to get them into their own body bags. But so that happened. <laughs> yeah. other than that mrs lincoln how was the play so we yeah that was that was an interesting day evening um and then we ended up the the marine corps was actually didn't push into baghdad during the invasion um we were hoping we would i, I they, they let the army go in there and and capture baghdad um however kirk spitzer wanted to go to baghdad hmm. so we're going to baghdad uh, my vehicle, which was kind of which is you and, my, and him, yep. And, well, and my driver and my gunner, Oof. um, my my a gunner or my a driver, whatever we wanted to call him. He he actually came to me. He's like, hey, I don't think it's a good idea that we go to Baghdad. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't either, but we're going. So get <laughs> shit and let's go. And then he reiterated to me that he didn't think it was a good <laughs> idea that we go to Baghdad. I'm like, I you know, strenuously get object. Get, I said, get your shit and get out of my get out. I don't then I don't want you. If you're if if you're telling me you don't want to go, I don't want you to go. You're right. a liability to me. I don't want you right. to go. So I put him in another vehicle. Did so you get someone my, else? Yeah, I know I did not. No, we, uh, me and my driver and my gunner, we hopped in and and we headed to Baghdad. Um, we ended up we we linked up with this uh, reserve unit, and for I don't know why general kind. Of, there was a general with them and I don't think he was with the reserve unit. I just think he was in the area. Um, but anyway, I had, we had come up to this reserve unit and we had stopped. The cameraman was doing his thing, talking to the command. And one of the reservists opened up on a vehicle. And I turned, I'm trying to see what they're shooting at. What, what is going on? And 
I, I don't see anything coming back at us. So I, I had no choice. I said, ceasefire. I got them to stop shooting. Um, one of them was like standing up with a saw kind of spraying. Um, and I, I kicked him to get, get the fucking ass down. And I mean, when he stood up, he had a, he had a gold oak leaf on his, on his flak jacket. Oh shit. Like, oh, he, I mean, he couldn't have been that important. He had a saw. What major has a saw? Come on. You kicked him. Okay, you so, Spartan kicked him. Hey bitch. I, I didn't know he was a major. I didn't know, but he was just standing there spraying. You know that um, you know what that have you seen Generation Kill, right? Mm-hmm. That reminds me of that scene in Generation Kill where that they run up to that abandoned building and that one uh dude comes out and he's he's an officer and just starts unloading at nothing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, well, we've talked to people that have requested combat jumps or have had had to endure combat jumps that were requested by officers who just wanted to get their ribbon. You know. I mean, it, it's not uncommon for officers to be like, I need to, I need to get something. I need to get some, I need to get, you know, get some glory. And so they do stupid shit so that they can be included in the cool kids club in their mind. Or take a helicopter somewhere and just step off of it and then step back on it. And yeah, I was yep. there. Yep. Yeah, I did that. But I mean, at the end of it, once, once I realized what, you know, got everyone ceasefire and came up to the vehicle and yeah, they, they decimated the, the family in the vehicle, except one man, um, I pulled him over, um, set him down on the curb. I'm trying to talk to him and he's, he just keeps screaming. Why, 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 why you shoot at us? And I, I had no words for this man. I, you know, I, I said, we got shot at you. You drove through it. And I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I didn't Bad pull luck. my trigger that day, but I'm, I'm here trying to console this man. I don't know what to say right, to him. Right. Um, so eventually the, you know, we, we, we leave, we, we leave the area and, and go on about our business. The, um, when I came home, remember I said my, my mom was recording CBS, the news the whole time. So I, I came home and I had asked my mom for that tape and I, I put it in. I wanted to see that night because I remember when we got back, we did the run back for tapes and batteries. I had to sign a waiver because they were going to use my name and likeness in the news. Mm. I was like, hell yeah, I want to do my mom. Yeah, my, my family watches the news. Yeah, right. And so I get home. I watch the news. And it was at the very end of uh, 60 Minutes. And it was a little snippet about the civilian death toll in Iraq. Mm. And here's a Marine explaining to a man why his family was just killed by American forces. I said, you son of a bitch. And don't do me any favors. And at the time he was a white house correspondent, but that was, that was one of my first lessons in, you know, what's on what's on the award write-up what really happened and what they put on the news are yeah. three different very story different stories mm-hmm. and yeah that that spin that they put on it for for the agenda it it may kind of suck to, to be put in that light and yeah after after everything you kind of do for them and you know that was that was just kind of unfortunate I would think that's an understatement to be sure. Cause you know, you're there for the guy and you're down for helping him out and watching over him. And then they just do you dirty like that. And and people wonder why military police fire, why we have a bad view of the press, why we, you know, cause we see the reality of the situation and then we see how they spin it and it doesn't create friends. No, you know, it just, it's it's just nothing but more animosity. I mean, that's what I think. That's what changed the the philosophy, and you know, from Vietnam, it was the first time it was televised. It was the first time right. they brought death to the American living room, right? Right. Um, and, you know, and and put it on their TV tray for them. You know, it wasn't buy war bonds, right? 
um world war ii was fought very differently it was like yeah there was awful awful stuff going on but you don't need to know about it and you know what the american people were okay with that there came a point at which i think journalists quote unquote journalists felt like you we need to tell you you may not want to know but we need to throw this in your face and we need to tell you and we need to ruin your appetite because you know we shouldn't be the only ones experiencing all this stuff and i in some ways i understand the idea behind that and but there's so much more to it than that and i think you're being naive or obtuse deliberately if you think that that stuff is going to help that that sharing that level of misery and the ugliness is going to help it doesn't it just demoralizes everybody everybody yeah even at some point they they told us not to not to read the newspapers that were coming over and and see what, the way that it was being portrayed yeah, portrayed yeah it's, it's horrible it was it was an experience to i i still i still correspond with kirk every once in a while we reach out and and talk he it was kind of funny his his wife he, he described her as the uh, the Japanese Oprah Winfrey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I wish I wish I knew her name, but he he was actually a, cor- a war correspondent at the same time. She was attached to uh, one of the infantry divisions uh, for the army. Okay, mm-hmm. and he had called her up on a satellite phone. He's like, "Hey, why don't you give me your give me your grid digits? I'll come find you." And he, <laughs> that day he did come to me, and he's like, "Hey, you think you could take me to this grid?" And I said, "Yeah." me and him jumped in the Humvee and took off and went and found his fiance with uh, maybe third ID, maybe. Yeah, he did a solid for him. It was funny, though. I, I just drove right through. They didn't even ask me. I just drove right through. <laughs> <laughs> drove right up to her. That's awesome. I like giving the Army shit. My my wife is an Army captain. <laughs> my my former employer, he was a, a former Army captain, too. And I've always been like, how hard can it be, sir? My wife does it. How hard can it really be? Oh, that's amazing! That's hilarious! No, Fantastic! I, I, I joke. She is. She's an amazing woman. She's. she's oh, I'm sure she is. And we have and, to have her on. Oh, she's she's got more time in Afghanistan and Iraq than I do, and no she shit. me about it. She's like, "That's your ribbons." I'm like, "Yeah," and she gets out hers, and it's like, Poof. "It looks like a Mexican general." Kinda, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we we appreciate you coming on, man, and we would love to have you back. We'd love to have your wife back. We're running short on time, um, but uh, we appreciate you coming on. I, I'm really glad you came on, and I'm sure you have a lot more to share. So we'd we'd love to have you back. I'd I'd love to be back on. I, yeah. I sent uh, I sent Chuck an email for the locker room as well. Yeah, I've got. Oh, I have good, that info. Good. We're gonna brief it and talk about it. Right on. Right talk on. about it with the guys. Yep. Perfect. It's, um, it's and my understanding is you don't have your own dedication. So Chuck, we have our, our dedication this week. Is that correct? And this is a listener. We do dedication. We, we have a couple of, and to the listeners who have sent dedications, we have a couple of listener dedications and uh, we like to get to them in a timely manner. But as you know, we always give our guests the opportunity. So we will get to them in the order they're received. Uh, but we, we do appreciate you guys when you reach out to us and tell us about uh, people in your neighborhood, people in your communities, uh, people you knew, um, that sac- pay, pay the ultimate sacrifice, and so we want to pay tribute to them as well. Correct. Okay, so this is um, from the Orofino Police Department. It is with the heaviest heart that we regret to inform you of the passing of our beloved former Chief Jeffrey Wilson on February 7th, 2023. Jeff Wilson served an almost 30-year career in law enforcement and 15 years serving as chief, retiring September 2022. Jeff was a powerful supporter of the Orofino community and lived a life in service of others. It is the family and Orofino Police Department's hope that all our citizens will be respectful as a shocked and hurting community mourns this loss. It is the family's wish that as people mourn over this loss, they will remember the great friend, coach, and leader that he was for the community of Orofino. Jeff Wilson took his own life at his home in Montesano, Washington. And that's all the details that we have at this time. Yeah. And it's one of those things we're going to keep talking about it because it's a, it's a subject that veterans and police officers and firefighters, you know, I I'll, I'll say this, I've spoken directly to friends of mine uh, who have said, and, and I've, 
had the feelings and I said the same thing to them that I felt this way is sometimes you get to a place where um, you feel useless or you feel cast aside or you feel uh, frustrated with wanting to go out there and fight the good fight still. And you begin to wonder what's the point, you know, why am I even here? If, if I were to go, would it really make that much of a difference? Because I'm not doing anything now. I'm not contributing. Right. I'm not, you know, being a part of the solution. I'm just, I'm an oxygen thief at this point. And it's, it's tough. It's, it, you know, you, you'd completely understand why, um, Norse cultures felt that warriors didn't get, uh, into Valhalla unless they died in battle because, you know, for a warrior to be useless is terrifying. And I don't know what kind of demons Mr. Uh, Williams was struggling with, but um, we we reach out. Our thoughts are with his family, and to be to retire and then have that kind of thing happen to you, it's got to be. Anyway. Yeah, and if you if you need to talk to someone, please talk to someone. Reach out to your family, your friends, your buddies, um, and if you have a friend who is retired or who's out injured. Don't leave them by the wayside, check in with them, talk to them. Um, because as we all know, any, anyone from the military side, law enforcement side, fire side, any first responder side, we're not the ones who are going to want to reach out. We're, we're too prideful for that shit. Right. In most cases. Yeah. So make sure you reach out to them. Make sure you keep in touch. Just a simple text. Hey man, you good? You know, it's, it's, it's that simple. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's sad when any, when this, when this happens and it happens far too often. Um, and some of these demons are, are they're tough. Uh, but if you're out there and you're struggling, talk to someone, talk to your buddy, yeah. talk to, talk to someone, reach out to anyone. My buddy and I are having a poker night because we were, talking the other night in his in his garage and we were both feeling you know feeling the the lack of camaraderie and just just and so we decided you know what we're going to do something about it and we're having a poker night and it's going to be you know poker night for friends of ours who are cops or veterans or whatever and you know you could do that you can organize a get together it doesn't you don't have to be like oh we're going to get together and and cry in our beer and and swap you know stories about heartbreak and loss no it could be just as simple as Hey, we're going to get together and throw some cards and drink some drinks and smoke some cigars and just feel each other's presence and be around each other. And that, it, that can be enough sometimes is just to know that you're not forgotten or left behind or alone and that you're still part of the community. So. Oh, Chicago has a, a lot of that. Um, they got Chicago veterans. Um, there's a Facebook group, second city leathernecks. Hmm. I always see them posting get togethers, socials, um, get togethers, silky hikes, you know, they're always trying to get the the local community veterans together and it's important and do things. Absolutely. It's awesome. They do it all the time. Yeah. One of our, uh, one of our guys that came on the podcast as part of our uh, Marines in Afghanistan series, he's a, a part of a group and they, it's the irreverent warriors or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And they do silky hikes. Yeah. They do silky hikes. They do all that kind of stuff too. And it's just they're a regional group of veterans that get together to do dumb shit to feel like they're a part of something. And mm -hmm. that's enough. Yeah. That's enough. So Mr. Wilson, uh rest easy brother. We've got it from here. Um Chuck, do you have anything else to take us out? Yeah. Thank you all today for listening. If you like taste podcast, please go and follow us on our Instagram at war underscore stories underscore official and our Facebook at war stories podcast. If you already follow us, please share our posts and our info. You can also go to the link in our bio on Instagram and Facebook to reach all of our socials, our media and website. Our podcast is on all major podcast streaming platforms as well as on YouTube. If you want to support us, please go to our website, www.warstoriesofficial.com. Sorry to the guy who said the website was too hard to navigate and um it was unusable or whatever we apologize we are not um professional website web designers, designers. <laughs> um we are retired and, and, and current law enforcement and um veterans so sorry it was not up to your standards um we apologize but uh we're not sorry to see you go um we still have some uh, some merch, so go check that out. 
and we will get it out to you as soon as possible. If you want to be featured on our show, please go to booking.warstories at gmail.com and send me your story and I can get you a book. Again, that's again, that is booking.warstories at gmail.com. Uh, we are looking for law enforcement, corrections officers, dispatch, fire, medics, and veterans. Um, and if you're currently in the military, that'd be awesome too, but we get it with operational security. Um, if you have a friend who you think would be a great fit, let them know about us and give them our booking email. Again, thank you for the support and stay safe. Yep. And Jay, thanks for coming on. We'll, we'd love to have you back. And uh, we're, we're going to talk to our locker room guys and uh, we'll have to get that, uh, that Marine Corps ball double amputee story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, okay. We'll change our names. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll adjust the names to protect the not so innocent. So until our next episode, come home with your shield or on it.